Our reading is taken from John chapter 18 and beginning at verses, or going from verses 33 to 38. John 18, 33. Pilate then went back inside the, the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, asked, uh, asked Jesus, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing Jesus through your word and with your spirit. And we pray that as we bring those things together now, word and spirit, that you would inspire us afresh from the youngest to the oldest this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I uh, met to pray with uh, Phil and Rick the other night, and uh, afterwards I said to Rick, I'm really struggling to know where to start with this passage, because it's so huge. There's so much in it. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus talking about the fact that he's king, uh, the whole relationship between the Jews and, and the people of Rome, the whole thing about what this is leading up to that we know, which is an odd passage, I think, to find ourselves in uh, when we're actually coming up to Advent next week, and suddenly we're talking about this week. But it's because... Uh, uh, today is the first Sunday or last Sunday before Advent, which is also known as the Sunday of Christ the King, uh, which is why that passage would have been chosen because of the declarations about Jesus being King. Uh, but as I've been uh, praying and reflecting and preparing for today, uh, I just think that there's uh, something important that I think we need to focus on from this passage and what it teaches us about uh, who Jesus is. Because you'll know that we've been uh, reflecting over the past few weeks about the importance of not just acknowledging what Jesus is has done for us, but also getting to know who he is. And this passage does really speak perfectly into that, that message again for us this morning. And I don't think that's any coincidence. I think God is doing something significant through these readings. And I want us to start by putting ourselves in the shoes of Pilate for a moment. I don't know how often you relate to Pilate or how, whether you like to relate to Pilate. I'm sure there's many things about him we would not like to relate to. But just imagine for a moment that you are there as the, the leader at the time, uh, the person who has the decision to make uh, political decisions, the person who has the ability to make judgments on other people and their crimes, and a group of angry Jewish people have brought someone to you and asking you to put them on trial because they're claiming that he is evil. 
Now, their laws prevent them from being able to kill him. So what they're essentially asking you to do is to do their dirty work for them. Now, you, as the leader of the Roman Empire, are not interested in religious disputes. You don't get involved in that kind of thing. You let the Jews do what the Jews do, and you just take care of the law. That's the only thing you're responsible for. So you're not interested at all in any claims of blasphemy or anything like that. That doesn't compute with you. It doesn't matter to you. So in order for there to be a trial here, there needs to be a just cause for that trial. And here is this guy called Jesus who has been brought to you for trial. You might have heard about him through gossip and hearsay. Lots of people around your area would have been talking about this this Messiah figure and saying various things about him, but you've not met him personally. And this group of Jews bring him to you. They refuse to come into your room because you're a Gentile. And if they walk into your room, they'll be made unclean. So they're staying outside and asking you to put this Jesus figure on trial. And in order to do that, there needs to be just reason. So what you need to be able to prove without any shadow of a doubt is that either this guy has committed a crime and broken the law, which clearly he hasn't, or... He is a threat to Rome. That's what you've got to prove. And the Jews are so determined to see this man die because they've been so offended by what he's saying, they are manipulating you to the highest degree by saying to you that he's claiming to be king. Therefore, they are accusing him of treason. Because we know Caesar alone is king. And they're saying that this guy is going around saying he's king. And they want you to put him to trial and ultimately to put him to death. Now that helps, I think, to understand why Pilate asked the questions that he does. When Jesus is stood before him, what you find when you read the whole passage, the verses before and the verses after, uh, Pilate is going in and out here because the Jews refuse to come into the building for the reasons I said. Jesus, however, has no problem with that uh, because we know that Jesus doesn't mind breaking the rules every so often. And so he's in the court. Uh, The Jews are outside the court, not necessarily hearing what's going on. Pilate is going back and forth between the Jews. And in this particular dialogue, he's trying to get to the heart of who Jesus is. He wants to know who this is stood before him. And what's fascinating about Pilate in this particular discourse is that in all the dialogue, he only speaks in questions. Every time he speaks, it's a question. Trying to get to the heart of who this guy really is. Who is this Jesus? And when he asks that first question, which essentially is, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response is an incredibly powerful one that I think we need to pay attention to today in light of what we're saying about knowing Jesus for who he is. So Pilate asked Jesus outright, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, as he often does, responds to the question. And the question is this. Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? How much of your view of Jesus 
has been shaped more by what others said about him than by you getting to know him for yourself. It's essentially what he's asking. Is are you basing your opinion on me purely on what other people have said? Or do you want to know me for who I really am? Because the reality is that in, in life, so much about God is a mystery. Particularly when we're thinking about God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't really get our heads around the Trinity. Uh, one great saint of the past said, you will empty the ocean of its water using a single shell quicker than you'd be able to understand the Trinity. Now, we don't have to understand him. The call is to relate to him, to know him personally. But our relationship with the Trinity is often affected, or is always affected, really, by our experiences on earth. For example, God as Father, our our understanding of God as Father will be shaped massively by our experience of fatherhood on earth either by how our fathers treated us or didn't treat us well, or our experience of being fathers or whatever it may be, that we will project that onto God. Uh, Quite naturally, it's something that we often do. Likewise, the way we view Jesus will be affected hugely by how others have taught us about who this Jesus is, by things that we've read, by things that we've heard about him, by even the type of church we grew up in, and all those kind of things will give us a particular understanding of Jesus. And our understanding of the Spirit will be affected by ours, but also others' experiences of him, and how they describe those experiences of who he is and what he's like. Let me just take one example, and it's a a controversial example, but let me take one example, because I heard this example the other day, and I thought it was brilliant. There's a phrase that Jesus uses quite regularly in the Gospels. The phrase is this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know that phrase. He says it uh, when John the Baptist is pointing to him. John the Baptist uses that phrase as well. I wonder, when you read that, how do you imagine it being said? Do you hear it as, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get your act together, get your life sorted, because I'm coming for you, and if you haven't turned your life around, you're in trouble. Or do you read it as, repent. Let's work on getting this life sorted. Turn and face me, because the things I have for you are far better than the things that the world has offered. The kingdom of heaven is here. Let's work together on this. See, I'm not saying that one is right or the other's wrong, but it's good to understand that how we hear that sentence will be hugely affected by how we see the one who said it. How we imagine him to be. What we've learned about him through our lives will affect how we read what he says. And our view of Jesus is often shaped naturally by those things, by those things that people have taught us about him through the life. And so we need to work out then. So if that's the case, then how do we kind of combat that? Because we don't want to spend our entire lives just knowing Jesus secondhand through other people. We want to know him personally. We want to have that one-to-one personal relationship with him because it's something that he's come to offer, that we may have life in all its fullness. He says very clearly that we are called into relationship with him, that it's through him, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's having that relationship, that daily living relationship, that we get to know about more about who he is and through that learn more about who the Father is as the Spirit reveals those things to us. And I think the answer 
to the question of how do we get to know Jesus personally rather than just secondhand is actually in this passage. It's in Jesus' answer to one of Pilate's questions. Because Pilate basically says, are you here to build a kingdom? What are you here for? All those kind of things. And Jesus says, I've come to do this. I've come to build this kingdom. I've come to do this way. And he said, I've come so that people may know the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. This isn't the only place Jesus says this. If we want to know Jesus personally for ourselves, rather than just secondhand based on what other people have told us, we need to hear his voice. And if we're going to hear his voice, we need the Holy Spirit who reveals the voice of Jesus to us, who enables us to know who Jesus is. The Spirit is the one who shows us Jesus in all his fullness to us. The only reason you ever said yes to Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, is because the Spirit led you there, whether you acknowledged it or not. He is the one who leads us to Jesus. He is the one who reveals Jesus to us. And he is the one who continues to help us to hear the still, small voice of Jesus in our daily lives. What we're talking here is about that beautiful meshing and coming together of word and spirit and the importance and the the absolute essential reality of having both word and spirit in our lives. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians that we came to faith in Jesus. We heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed in him, which was sealed by the Holy Spirit. Word and spirit together. Jesus as the word and the gift of the spirit combining together that we may know the Father through the Son. A mystery that we still don't understand, but we can experience. Because every single person in this room, without exception, has the ability to hear the voice of Jesus speaking over them today. And I believe that God can speak in as many different ways as there are people on this earth. I'm not going to limit him and say he can only speak through his word, or he can only speak through dreams, or he can only speak through visions. I believe God can speak in as many different ways as there are people on this earth. Because we're all unique and we're all known by him and loved by him and called by him into that relationship and he will speak to us how he chooses to speak to us. But if we want to know him rather than just know about him, we need to make time to hear him. We need to hear his voice because that's where we find the truth. And it is the vital vital importance of having word and spirit together. We cannot strip those things apart. They were never designed to be separated. They were designed to be word and spirit together. 
I heard someone put it like this, which I think is a little bit harsh, but I kind of understand where they're coming from. Bear with me. It might sound a little bit mean. But if you get those people who are just of the Holy Spirit and all they talk about and all they do is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, said if you live your life like that, you may become a bit weird. And then you get some people who live their lives entirely by the word. It's all about the word, nothing but the word. It's all about the word. If you live your life like that, you may find you become dry. But bring word and spirit together. Everything changes. The spirit is the one who brings the word of Jesus to life in our hearts, in our minds. And we should never sit down to read the word of God without inviting the Spirit to read it with us. Because he is the one who helps us to see it the way we're meant to see it. And to find Jesus come alive through its pages. As we see that unified story throughout the Old and New Testament pointing to Jesus, backwards, forwards, present, Seeing Jesus come alive through the words that are given to us as a gift from God so that we may know him today. Not just know about him. The Bible is not given just so that we know about God. The Bible is given so that we know God. Personally. And so our encouragement as we continue in this journey of wanting to know what it means to know Jesus personally rather than know about him is to invite the Holy Spirit into your reading of his word and to be expectant that you can and you will hear Jesus speak to you because he longs to do so so that you can know him personally for you. And it may well be that over Advent, I'm trusting that through Advent, as we look through the readings of Advent, Jesus is going to reveal more and more and more how he does that for us, how he reveals himself and makes himself known. And I don't want anyone here to leave this place feeling discouraged, feeling, well, I don't hear Jesus, I don't hear the voice of God, therefore do I really know him? What I want you to do is leave this place with a sense of invitation, an invitation to get to know him. No matter how old you are, or how young you are, it's never too late or too early to get to know him. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, however well you know him now, you can always know him better. And so I want you to leave this morning with an invitation to get to know him better, to get to hear his voice, to invite his spirit into your reading of his word, and allow him to bring Jesus alive to you on those very pages And as those two things combine, may you see Jesus, may you see the Father, may you see the Spirit for who they really are, rather than just who others have told you they should be. And may that be true of us as a church as well. May that happen corporately for us. May we get to know him together as we worship him together in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus made it very clear that our worship, even, is word and truth, spirit and truth. And so, let that be true of us. May we know him personally. May we know that he's speaking to us, that he wants to speak to us, that he can speak to us, that he does speak to us, that he's going to speak to us. May we be expectant that we can know him personally. 
And I have to say that as we approach the time of year where we remember the incarnation of God becoming flesh, God becoming one of us, it never ceases to blow my mind that the God of the universe wants to meet with you, wants to meet with me, wants to be in relationship with me, wants me to know him the way that he knows me. And it's an invitation for every single one of us here this morning. Get to know the real Jesus and see just how much he loves you. And if that doesn't change your life, nothing in this world will. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you do invite us to know you, not just in theory, but to know you personally. That as you died on the cross for us, the curtain of the temple was violently torn in two so that we're all invited to come and to know you. And as was the invitation to Pilate to get to know you by asking those right questions, by asking who you really are, we pray that as we ask those questions of you, that we would hear your voice giving us the answers and that as we hear your voice, we will know the truth. Not the truth that others have told us, but the truth you want to speak over us today of who you are. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to come. We invite you to fill us afresh. You're already here, but what we want is we want to increase our awareness of you this morning. And Spirit, as you so fill this place and as you so fill us, would you show Jesus more to us? Show us our need of him, our want of him, Show us his love for us. Show us more of who Jesus really is.